the key thing is having an idea that you are really passionate about that it keeps you up at night and you want to solve it because through the hard times you really have to have that burning ambition or grit to want to solve that problem it's really got to be a burning yearning to continue with Welcome to Hypercurious, a show that is all about finding happiness by embracing changes and following our curiosity. My name is Beta Luca, and each week I unveil the most intriguing aha moments and leaps of learnings of successful leaders, founders, authors, and artists, and how they achieve incredible things by staying hypercurious. Today I'm excited to talk to Dom Jackman. An entrepreneur who escaped a career in management consultancy to start Escape the City back in 2010. His purpose? To build a platform to enable 1 million people in the world to transition into fulfilling work. In this episode, we talk about being lost in a large organization and the process of leaving a corporate job to start your own business. Why our fear of failure increases as our business becomes more successful and the very difficult moment when you have to break up with your co-founder and deal with all of the emotions surrounding that. Dom, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. I'm going to start from the beginning. As a child, uh, did you have a dream life or dream job? What did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, um, I think when I was younger, I lots of different occupations that I wanted to be. I wanted to be like a weatherman or an astronaut. And then later on in my teenage years, I I was quite entrepreneurial. I always just wanted to kind of work on my own projects and my own um, my own business. That was that was my dream. I think when I was about 15, 16, 17, and then obviously went went to university, and then I forgot about that dream and then got a corporate job. But yeah, as a, as, as a child, I think predominantly, I think it was more about working for myself. Mm, nice. I've been a, a Escape the City fan for many years now. So aligned with everything that I believe that people should have, you know, follow their passions and, and have fulfilling jobs, right? And you guys have a beautiful mission, which is to help 1 million people to quit their corporate jobs and to find work that matters to them. And... I've been there. I've been in corporates for 10 years before I became an entrepreneur. So question, have you achieved your goal? <laughs> I don't think so. The metric or like that, that vanity metric of a million uh, is, a, is a difficult one to track. But no, we, have, uh, we haven't. We're not there yet, but we're still plugging away at it. Good. And what, what is missing? What is, uh, how, how far are you from there? How do you see the steps to get to this kind of milestone? The problem which I set out to solve 11 years ago when we kind of came up with this idea and still very much relevant today as it was back then was how do we take a different view of the opportunities that are available to people? And so if you go to LinkedIn or you go to different job boards and job sites, they tend to either be like, or indeed, it's intent to have like a supermarket of options. And so either it's an indeed where you can search any organization or Google for jobs and find their opportunities, or you go to a particular job board, which might be industry or function specific. And the problem that I wanted to solve, or I feel like that a lot of people were looking for was a different slant on the market. And so can we find interesting opportunities at organizations that are trying to make a difference. 
and then they're not just charities and then they're innovative startups they're they're big companies not so much not startups and charities as well and ngos all around the world and um, how can we take that different view and organize all of their opportunities and try and make available for people to browse? And so we're a long way off that, but we're, we're kind of narrowing down the problem now and getting it to a point where we can start to be the, like to get more opportunities and get more of that view of the market. This last kind of six months or so, we've taken a big leap towards being able to do that. And for me, that would be kind of like 30,000 odd organizations and like tens of thousands of opportunities, but just those ones at those kind of companies that are making a difference. And for me, like getting to the more towards the vision is to do that um, just for the UK, but then obviously there's an opportunity to do that um, beyond the UK, kind of just looking at the UK first. And we're still we're still a long way off that. But in terms of the technology that we're kind of building to try and achieve that, we're not we're not too far off that. We're kind of getting close to that now. So good. That's so good. And, and having a North Star is, uh, is like that, right? You do the work on the day-to-day -to, -day to your milestones and having the technology and scalability to, to achieve that. And I, I love it. So it's been 11 years you have been building uh, Skip the City. What still drives you so badly to get out of bed and, uh, and you know, win the day? It's been such a long journey. I mean, anyone who kind of starts up their own project, uh, the kind of grit and determination and the longevity is, is I'm still surprised myself that after 11 years and a lot of the paths that we've been down that like either haven't worked or have worked to some degree. And, and it's just been a difficult journey, but I'm still surprised myself that I'm still so motivated to kind of get up and do it. I think for me, it's like, there's this opportunity one, but it's also this problem that I, I still get motivated to try and solve is how do we get people who are working on the right projects, the right work, the right type of work? Because there are so many people out there who are kind of working in jobs that they don't like or working for organizations that are really are not kind of making the world a better place. Trying to match those two things up at like a very high level is what enthuses me every day. And, and, and the fact that no one's still, I feel like no one's really solved that in a decent way at scale is part of it. And then the second part of it is I also like the challenge of trying to solve that problem and how can we do it? Because I don't really know what the external view is on escapers, but we're, we're such a, we are a tiny team and, and we don't have like, a, we don't ha have like a, a whole development team. I'm, I'm the person kind of building the tech and, and yeah, it's just like, it's just, there were, there were just a handful of us trying to, trying to do this as a, as a small team. And in that respect, it's kind of like, it's a big problem to solve. And there's not very, there were very few of us. And we don't have huge deep pockets of like, of VC money or anything like that. We're just, we're just kind of doing it in our own small um, bootstrapping way. It's beautiful because a lot of companies nowadays are chasing for the money, but you're chasing for the impact first, right? And and I think it's very admirable. Yeah, I mean, we've never really set this up to be to, to, for the money, and it's just about it's for me. It's always been about trying to solve this problem, and and how do we, how can we do that, and can we be part of that, and can we can we create some sort of solution for it? Because if you can, then there's a lot of impact to be made. Money is important because it means that we can we can sustain it. If we didn't think about the commercials of it, we would just be we wouldn't be able to sustain it. But it wasn't. It's definitely never a driving factor. And for people who don't know yet, uh, skip the city. What are what, what is your business model? 
Yeah, so I mean, I, I loosely described Escape the City as a career platform for people who wanted to find work that matters to them in the world. And that's what our mission is. And we try and we connect people up with uh, with those organizations. And the business model is, at the moment, it's, it's, it's quite simply that organizations pay to advertise their roles or certain types of organizations to curate a careers platform. And the organizations they curated on, on, their, on their mission and purpose and and they pay to post their jobs and, and we have our users and job seekers come onto the job board and apply to the jobs and get the jobs and transition their careers over to doing work that hopefully matters to them. But you also do a lot of courses and workshops and stuff that really yeah. added a lot of value to people who are in doubt, right? Who are in the rat race and still don't know if they wish to uh, become entrepreneurs or if they wish to escape, <laughs> escape the city or not. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So um, the other part of our business, which we kind of paused on for the moment, is that we have uh, an escape school. And the school is all about trying to help people, I suppose, accelerate those transitions. Whereas the job board can only really, if you know what you want, or you can you can see the, the live opportunities. But if, for a lot of a vast majority of people who are questioning which direction they need, where they want to go down, then we, we created these programs and events and workshops to try and help people with that problem and it's either how do i i've got an idea for a business how do i set it up or how do i how, how do i go about it or really like give people the confidence to make that transition because the people came, came to us for those programs and events and workshops were people who were less confident about it and that that confidence comes from so many ways and, and so yeah people who were, were really struggling for confidence and uh and those programs try to give them the confidence to make that that transition how did you build your confidence to make the transition when you were in a corporate, you were in Ernest Young and you and your co-founder, Rob, yeah. decided to explore a few ideas. And what was this transition for you? How, how did you gain the confidence and what were the steps to leave the corporate job, quit your awful days, <laughs> and as you described, <laughs> and, uh, and, and throw yourselves into the unknown? Well, I was well, 11 years ago, I was kind of in my late 20s. And for me, I didn't really, the confidence that I needed was, I think, another person to, to do it with, like a co-conspirator. And Rob was, for me, was, was that person. And doing it together was seeming, it was, it was so much easier than doing it uh, alone. That's really all the confidence I felt like I needed was is that we, we were, we're in it together and and we were also the other side of it is I, I kind of saw it more as a project and a short-term thing rather than trying to pin a lot of my hopes and and, and dreams on it and I thought well I, I could take six months out give it a go and see how see how it goes and so those were the two things for me is like I saved up a little bit of money like really not much at all and then cut my costs down to as low, low as I could do by still living in London and renting a flat but I really slashed all my costs and I gave myself enough time for six months to work on it and kind of throw my all into it and learn about how we could do it. And at that time, I was tech aware, but I was a non-technical, we were both non-technical founders and we weren't really, we didn't really have an idea of what the thing that we were trying to create was. We had some um, rough ideas, but we didn't really, we, had, we were so naive really in, in, in what was the art of the possible. We didn't really know it, but uh, we just wanted to give it a go. And I had a lot of it. We had an awful lot of energy and a lot of enthusiasm and we just threw ourselves into it. And so I don't, I was so, I suppose, unhappy with where I was and in my career, early in my career, and just felt so lost with the system and 
what the corporate world was like and the reality of career opportunities for um, for young people in 2009, as it was then. And I just knew that there were loads of opportunities out there, but I didn't really know where they where they were, or I just felt like there were so many people stuck. And so, for me, those were the things that were just. I just had that, but if I had that support of one person, it was it made all the difference for me. I love that story because I think so many people feel lost in a large organization with thousands of people sometimes, right? And and they hate their jobs, but they they have to stay or they feel that they should stay for you know any reasons. And yeah, I I, I love the story. I think it's uh, I think a lot of people who are listening to us will probably resonate with that. What were you mostly afraid of when you when you made the leap? Um, I suppose my biggest fear was that it wouldn't work and I'd have to go back to my job with uh, my tail between my legs. And that was quite a big fear because ultimately what we were trying to do was we were kind of going out on a limb and saying corporate jobs are, are bad. Most people hate them. We were kind of trying to start a movement away from getting a corporate job. And back in 2009, the world was a, was a very different place. Careers, people... The opportunities that I've had, I have the whole, um, the barriers to entry of, of small businesses have just been slashed in the last ten years. But it's easy to forget that in 2009, if you ask people where what were innovative businesses back then, or where where do people want to escape to, you would be the organisations that would come up were Google, Innocent, and the BBC, and a lot of people who would go to say a top twenty university and did an arts degree. People would end them end up in in corporate jobs, and that's that that world like that we've moved on from that world. My fear was like that. Oh, I once like going out on a whim, I'd have to come back and say, "Oh no, it hasn't worked," and I'd have no money, and I I, did, I had no plan B. I didn't really know what else I was going to do, but I kind of figured that if maybe some an opportunity will arise by doing it, if it didn't work out. But my biggest fear, I didn't really have a fear that it wouldn't it wouldn't work because I was under no illusion that it probably wasn't going to work. And so I wasn't so worried about that. And I wasn't really worried about like a fear of failure in that respect. That's interesting has come, has come more through doing it. Like the longer I go th- through it, if it folds, it feels like a lot, uh, a bigger step to fall back on. So that fear of failure is almost increased through the years of doing it. Because at the beginning I had kind of, we had nothing to lose and, and then and you kind of, over the years, you pick up stuff, you pick up like investors and you pick up expectation and that kind of morphs into something else. But uh, yeah, my biggest fear was just, I suppose, having to go back and figure out what my plan B was. <laughs> After saying, hey, these corporates are terrible, right? And then you, yeah. hello, can I come back? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was my mum's biggest fear anyway. <laughs> So tell me about this uh, this fear of failure that kind of increased as you as you were growing the business. What provokes that? Well, we started a business in, in the beginning of 2010, so just over 11 years ago now. And then in the first couple of years, we didn't really know what we were doing. We were just testing out lots of different ideas. And, and then after in 2012, we raised our first and only funding round. And it was at the time, it was it was a bit different because we went to, we did equity crowdfunding and in 2012 only three other organizations had done the proper equity crowdfunding raise on a platform in the UK and we used crowdcube and and crowdcube were one of them and, and so no one had really raised any significant money and we we were like the first people to raise a significant amount of money on using that as a form 
And that was a big that was a big deal because then obviously we then had 395 investors and and the investors are people are my friends and family and that kind of changes the dynamic of stuff. No longer are you just two two or three guys in the, in a basement just having a go at thrashing out an idea. You've got you've got the weight of expectation of those investors, and so that kind of bears with it uh, an expectation that has never that's never left. I suppose that fear of failure comes now from those people who put their money in and and you want to see that that return. You want to see them their good faith paid off. The path that we've taken has been one that um, is a bit is unconventional. And so we haven't gone down the road road of getting multiple rounds of investment. I've always wanted to try and keep true to the the, the mission and try and do it in the way that I feel like is, is right. And that way was not always going out and getting more fundraising. And and so it was a, a much longer, slower road, but uh, that was the road that I wanted to take. And that expectation, that's always um, been there. And so when things come up, like COVID, like last year was a really difficult year for us because a lot of our business, so we had two businesses, one, which is a, a school program, which we were trying to try and pivot away from away and try and find a way of doing that because we've done We've done like hundreds of events and workshops, and after a time, we just realised we want to try and change that model. And uh, we were planning to do that, and then COVID hit, and so we. And the other business that we have is our job board, and that really was suffered last year because a lot of obviously a lot of small businesses that was the last thing on their minds are hiring. And so for ten years of almost within two weeks, we we, we like our revenues dried up with ninety five percent, and so we were left with this big hole in our business. And, and so we have to kind of take really drastic action and, uh, and scale things back and just try and, and shop, shop up for a little bit and just try and weather out the storm and thinking it was only going to be a few weeks or months. And then we're all hopefully on the other side of it now. But um, that was also a really difficult thing because you think that like, the fear of failure is, is then becomes really relevant. It's like, wow, we are now kind of almost fighting for survival uh, 11 years on and that, that anxiety around and that level of responsibility that I always kind of think back to of gosh those investors who um, invested in us in 2012 I don't want I don't want the, the business to dry up for one the fact that we've put I've put a lot into it and lots of people have put a lot into it and investors have put their good faith into it nine years or eight years ago and that's a long-winded way of answering like why that fear of failure has increased over the time because at the beginning we had nothing to lose and now I feel like a, there's, there's a lot more to lose yeah no I I resonate with what you're saying so much and uh, I'm sure that everyone who's listening to us will will connect if if they are yeah entrepreneurs and and going through the unknown and going through the unknown right now even even bigger times now with COVID yeah. right and yeah no this is this is this is so relatable believe me <laughs> um what do you think is, is next? So what, what is the world post-COVID? Are you seeing like a shift trending of uh, people who are moving jobs and people who are becoming entrepreneurs earlier? The surge of the passion projects, the passion economy, the influencers, you know, how do you see things shifting from now onwards in the next five to 10 years? Um in my world or in our world of like trying to find work that matters and like working in, in purposeful businesses, I think the shift to that will become, it's more relevant than ever as the people, consumers are being more aware of like the environment and the impact they're having and people and the expectations of a career are always increasing. I feel every, 
every year. People's expectations of what they that how they spend their time are increasing, and that's kind of being fast accelerated with social media and use people more aware of, of other people's jobs, and um, that's growing. And so people wanting to work on interesting things and working for organisations who are more mindful of that um, is definitely increasing. Whether or not that's being accelerated by COVID or not, I don't know. But certainly the idea of like the, how people's work, working patterns has just been a monumental shift. It's interesting to see which direction it goes in now because most people have been forced to go remote. And the question is, uh, well, what, well, how how will it go back? And people, will people go part remote? And that's a really interesting thing. And I, certainly a lot of small businesses that I've that we work with or companies that are say less than 50, we've got a mixture of people who will never go back to the office and will always be remote. And, and then there's other ones of people, employees saying that, um, oh no, they're really looking forward to going back to the office because they missed the human contact. And I think it'll be very difficult for organizations having a hybrid structure because having kind of played with lots of models ourselves of going remote and being part remote is part remote brings with it probably the most difficult uh, scenario of people who are remote being left out and it being cliquey for the people who are not remote. And I think that that model of being part remote is a really problematic one. It's, kind of your, it's difficult to make that work. You have to have more processes in place to, um, you basically have to operate as a remote company, but allow some people to work with you and that's complicated, but I feel like a lot of small businesses will shift to being remote and the bigger ones will probably go back to being in person, but will have a real challenge on that in how they manage that part remote element of it. They'll have to be more like semi-remote and then that, that will bring with it a lot of challenges for them. Do you think a lot of people uh, now that they're working from home uh, thinking, well, actually I can be on my own. I can become an entrepreneur or I can become, I don't know, a full-time influencer, even though we know that there's a, a lot of influencers as slaves to the algorithm of the, the big, large tech companies, right? Do, do you think that now that people are on their own and finding, you know, fulfillment and, and work and working from home and having all the equipment around them, there is this mind shift of, well, actually, I'm going to explore doing things on my own now because I have the time and I have the space and the opportunity yeah definitely and then another big trend will be people who, who are setting up their own businesses and, and doing their own thing and going freelance and i think there's, there's two elements to that and one of the the first one is obviously covid has really isolated people who have been entrepreneurs because if you're a freelancer the the state didn't really step up to the plate and help the entrepreneurs in the same way as it did employees and so that will on the one hand, the, the lack of security is really highlighted that. But then on the other hand, the barriers to entry of doing things, of setting up your own thing and having impact with just one person in a, in a de at a desk um, has never been so great. And like what you can do today with technology, particularly the rise of like the no-code platforms and the fact that you don't need, really need to um, hire developers to put your ideas into life that's that's for me is like it's going to be a huge catalyst for releasing people's ideas onto the world and that as like as its own like sub niche the, the rise of the no code platforms and allowing democratizing ideas and no longer is it 
do you have to get a developer to implement your idea? You can do it yourself. I think we'll we'll also see a massive trend in people just doing their own thing in no long year. So that's that's something that I'm really interested in, and and it's a fascinating to see what how that will play out in the next few years. Yeah, and so going back to to your journey, right? Uh, if you were the one finishing university, let's say, so would you start as would you start a job? Would you apply for a job, or would you start as an entrepreneur first? Well, I think if I had if I had a problem that I was I was really passionate about, I it was kind of kept me up at night, and I just had so much passion for an idea, like a problem to be solved. It would have to be like such a, a strong problem to solve, and if it, if it kind of ticks those box boxes, then I would try and go and solve it myself, and I'd try and I'd do my own thing. And if I didn't have an idea like that, that was really playing on my mind or was really bugging me then I would just pick a really interesting organization and, and go and work for them and because there are just so many great organizations out there now and I would find an opportunity where I feel like I could I could learn and try and do that for two or three years and and just learn learn the mistakes because I've what I've noticed is when I I, I only worked in a corporate for four and a half years and I learned a lot in that time of but the, the kind of skills that I learned were more about Excel, PowerPoint, presentations, I had to do run workshops. And they have, to some extent, stood me in good stead. But I didn't really know how a good small business ran or I didn't know how how to manage people really well or what I could, how, how to inspire people as a, as a team leader. Or I never really saw that. And I wished I had worked in an organization that was running really well where I could see that and saw how that worked well and how it worked well and because that didn't like it was a really bad testing environment for me to then go from working in an organization of 130,000 to working with my mate in at a kitchen table and then trying to grow a business there's so many skills that you can learn learn by working for someone else but equally the path of going by yourself is totally viable and it's more never been more viable But I think the the key thing is is having an idea that you um, are really passionate about and really that it keeps you up at night and you want to solve it because through the hard times you really have to have that burning ambition or grit to want to solve that problem for whatever reason. There'll be plenty of times down the road where the going is really tough and it's very easy just to be like, oh, I'm just not that into this idea. I'm going to go and do something else. To stop that from happening, it's really got to be a burning yearning to continue with. Yeah, the solving the problem is a big thing, right? You talked about a lot of life skills that you learned as an entrepreneur, inspiring people, you know, building a business, and a lot of things that you end up not learning when you are in a corporate job. Why do you think uh, corporates and large companies are not providing these sets of skills or, you know, training people inside organizations to be more of an inspire and uh, inspires and coaches to to their teams i think the business model for corporates I, it kind of comes from it's more like it's like a systemic thing that for big corporate organizations they're judged on profit and in all and then it kind of goes down from there and so it's a, the measure of success is profit starts at that, that level and then all of the behaviors trickle down from that one measure Uh, and it's shareholder profit, and that ultimately, like that's that's a really bad measure of success. And it's, sure, it's a measure of success in some ways, but there are lots of different elements to it. It's like your uh, how happy are your people, how happy are your 
supply chain. There are lots of stakeholders in the business. It's not just the profit, it's a number. And a lot of the, the environment that I worked in as a corporate um, was driven by the fact that they wouldn't really care how happy their staff were because that wasn't something that they were they, they were monitoring because they, you would work for a couple of years, you would get paid well, so therefore you, they'd stop the attrition to a certain level and then you left and then they would just pay loads of more money to get someone else in your seat and they just knew that they, they could, there was, a, there was a classic funnel of they could just replace you and so there was going to be another 10 people who'd be wanting to do your role and for a couple of years and then you would just cycle out of it. So they're not, they weren't incentivized to it. They, were, they didn't really care. And so what's the point in spending loads of time worrying about like how happy their employees were when that wasn't really something that was affecting their business model because they knew that they were, profit, they were profitable enough to replace you. And that still happens in a lot, a, lot of, a lot of businesses. And now those corporates are really struggling because they're competing with a very different audience of like, upstart companies are coming in and, and taking their talent and they've proven that they can pay the same salaries or if not the same, they can offer different benefits and and they're suddenly realizing, well, actually, we don't have 10 people to replace Dom anymore. Um, we've probably only got one person and that person may not be, um, and then there's a the quality issue and it's just, and they are suddenly realizing, oh, crikey, we do need to worry about it. So they're being driven from that respect, but also there's the market is saying to people, well, shareholder value is not the only thing that's important anymore. And that's like the whole rise of the B certified businesses and B Corps. And for me, it's kind of, it starts with the systemic issue of, of that profit being the only marker of success. And then everything, everything trickles down from that and employee engagement is, is, is a lack, a lack of, and all of the, opportunities and life skills and how flexible people are and how happy they are in fulfillment all kind of stems from that probably one one element of success mm, yeah where you measure i i agree with you i agree and and they are they are in such a trouble right now because the demand is shifting to people want to work for for companies that have a movement that have a soul right and yeah. and the measurement is around being fulfilled at work and happiness as opposed to just making tons of money as an entrepreneur as an organization a small organization that is making this big impact how do you inspire your team every day what are the the values and you know are there things that you that you implemented in your company to make sure that everyone wants to work at escape the city yeah well like it's difficult it's a real challenge after over 11 years we've, we've kind of worked on multiple ways of, of doing that and um some things have worked something haven't worked and I, I give an example of we're, we're a tiny team, so that comes with its own challenges and sometimes it's easier, but it's easy to check in with everyone when there's not many people in the team, but everyone has a check-in and we go through the same like 10 questions that we always ask, ask everyone. And they're basically trying to aiming at trying to understand how fulfilled everyone in the team is at any one time. And so there you, you can kind of break down fulfillment in, in lots of different ways, but like how much ownership do you have over your work? Are we, do we have enough momentum? Have you got focus? Do you, how are you feeling about uh, your work life and how's your money? And do you feel supported? Do you feel recognized? And all of those things. And like, it's just a simple question, like one out of 10. And then we try and check in with everyone and say like, okay, well, how can we change it up? And, and you monitor it. And the idea is to say, think is, is that, 
fulfillment over time always changes for people. And even if you're doing everything that you possibly can, that's not to say that you won't have unfulfilled people. It's because the challenge changes and people get to the end of the road with their journey with, with your company and or your organization. And, and that's cool and that's okay. But it's, I suppose it's, have you got the systems in place to try and recognize that? And is there anything you can do to change that? And if you can't change it, that's totally okay. And people cycle out and find new opportunities and new challenges to and that happens at all levels like what happens it happened with my co-founder it happened with yeah it happens at all levels of the business and so trying to stay on top of that and trying to keep on top of that with everyone is like it's just a really simple thing that we try and do to manage that and to keep track of people's fulfillment in, in our, our small little team. Mm, that's, that's so good because people, they, they want to feel looked after. Yeah. We, we, we want to feel connected to the organization that we are, we're working with and working for. How do you split your responsibilities between you and Rob, your co-founder? Well, actually, so Rob doesn't work in the business anymore. He left the business in, well, full-time he left the business five years ago. So we set this up and Rob has a, a big family business. The idea was that he, we were going to do this and see if it works. And at some stage, he was going to back, take a step, step back and go and work in his family business. And we managed to put that off for uh, five or six years. And then he moved over to his family business. And, and so that, the way in which it moved over was, a, it was a, not great because he basically had burnt himself out by um, our, doing our business. And he then had to take a, a couple of years out and, and get himself back. And then he kind of took it over. So it, it was a really unideal ideal way of kind of stepping away. But And so in terms of responsibilities, that kind of happened overnight back in 2015. I think it was 2015 or was it 2016? That, that was really difficult. But um, he's then subsequently kind of got himself better and he's now working in his family business and is, is, is doing it. I think is really enjoying it and he's still connected to, I still speak to him and, and we're still obviously in great terms and in terms of day-to-day -day running, um, he's not involved in it um, anymore. So in terms of like, how do I split my responsibilities? Well, we have our, our team now and we're trying, we're trying to like regrow our team in a, in a different world, like post COVID and we're trying to figure out what that looks like. And I think a lot of, organizations whose businesses have been really badly impacted by COVID have, are probably in the same system or the same situation of trying to figure out where their business is going to be in post-COVID and what their needs are and how like, restructuring their team, what skills you need in, in that team. But um, we're still figuring it out at the moment, I, I think. So you said in the beginning that one of the reasons why you were less afraid of taking the, the jump into the unknown was to start with somebody else, right? Yeah. And how was for you this, this split, this separation between you and your co-founder? Did you feel, okay, now the whole world is, is on top of my shoulders and was it an amicable one? And how, how did it go, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, no, no worries at all. So when we... Um difficult because when you start a business it's like a marriage and, and you don't ever envisage what it would be like when it ends i found it really difficult for, on, on, on numerous levels one because when it happened we didn't really know it was happening because when where rob came to work one day and then just said well, okay, i just don't think i can continue and it became quite clear that he he was really struggling mentally and physically and, and was just he was trying to process what he was going through and then we realized oh actually okay let's just take so take some time off i like, take today off and then and then extend it and then and if you need more time then 
go for it. But at the time we were, we were running at a thousand miles an hour and we were, we had this school going and we had, we were delivering work daily workshops events. And he was really integral on one half of the business. And, and then the other half of the business, we were also growing. And so we, they were, we were doing so much and, and he was so integral to one of them. And when he just stepped out, it was really difficult because he also was, he had the, he had a lot of the support of a, he'd grown his own team in that area. And, I, and, and it was a bit unknown as when he was going to come back. And then it was, I suppose it, came, it became clear that he wasn't going to come back. And then it was, it was difficult because I think it came down to like vision and like, well, where, whose vision was this? Cause when we started, started out, we had this shared vision. I felt like it was a shared vision and I, and I whether or not it was, I was a source or he was a source or, but we, we basically like, this is the vision. And what, what happened over the years is I suppose we had slightly different versions of the truth of, of that vision. And, but that was also okay because we were working on those different areas in tandem. And Rob's had a very, had a really clear vision of what the, the school was going to be. And I had a clear vision of what like the technical platform and the careers platform was going to be. But that was cool because we were kind of both working on those different things. And then when he left that, it took me a long time to work out. It was like, well, it's the school part of the vision that I have. And if I'm going to be the sole person responsible for that, how do I work that through? And so there were a lot of issues with, with vision and owning that vision and, and also, I suppose, trimming that vision. And like, okay, well, if that's not part of my vision, then um, letting it go a little bit. So that was one element to it. Two, in terms of like how because of that there were a lot of, we had a lot of team issues where i then had to step into rob's shoes and try and run the business and and rob had, had hired a team around him for that business and, and we had a lot of team issues of and we were trying to figure out how that why we were having so many of these team issues and and so that was a, that was a challenge but ultimately when rob left and we like co-founders leave we always were on great terms. We never had like arguments about over equity or money or, or things like that, because I think we neither of us set the business up to try and but that wasn't our sole purpose. And, and so we, we were like, it's all, and I've always been really grateful to that. And, and um, because it's so easy, I can see how easy it is for it to go wrong because if you're chasing, uh, if you get uh, VC money, a lot of money is involved and uh, lawyers become involved and, um, it's very easy for that to take the conversation and, uh, and turn it sour. And, and we were, I'm so grateful that we never had that, those issues. And the one thing we never really sorted out was like equity, what would happen if equity and, and slowly now, like, oh, 11 years down the road, we're still sorting that out, but we're having those conversations and they're really, they're really amicable and there's no, we haven't kind of come across any issues and everyone's really sensible about it. So that side of it has been easy, but the, it, you can never really replace a founder and it's always been like you start with that vision it's like your parents a co-founder is you're kind of giving birth to this, this startup idea and it's really difficult to replace that person and, and that support and i really miss it and that's the bit that i kind of always feel sad about that i don't have that every day and because when we were we worked so well together and losing that enthusiasm and knowing that that person's got your back whatever and you kind of keep and driving towards the ambition. You get excited about the wins and you share the lows together and there's nothing really like it. And yeah, that's a real sad thing. I don't have that anymore. Um, and I really miss that, but, but we're, we're still on great terms. 
Wow, this is a great story. Thank you for sharing, Dom. It's so it's oh. coming from the heart, and I can see that. <laughs> I can see and I can hear that. It's it's pretty beautiful. What would be your one advice to co-founders who are going through through that right now? So, from everything that you learned, if you if you would give one piece of advice to them, what would your advice be? Um, I would say get help, and the, and the way I would it really is to I, you have to really understand yourself and what, why you're reacting because when founders split ultimately becomes really there's some there's a practicality the practical side of things but there's also the emotional side of things and then when any kind of relationships breaks down or like or whatever something the emotional side will often take over and it's then understanding where that's coming from and what's driving that and how do you understand like understanding the emotions of of why you are reacting in a certain way it's like that's all about like knowing yourself and like what what's driving you and what's triggering you that can be gained by like talking to people and like just trying to understand like well why are you reacting like this where where's that coming from and a lot of things that have helped me over the time over time I've, I've worked with various different coaches and like leadership coaches and like therapy style stuff and really understanding what the triggers are that's really helped me understand well why do i if i why would i get emotional in a certain in a in a certain situation and why is it like what, what's what's bringing that up for me and that's quite telling and it's always really telling of well and it kind of cut, cuts through to the okay well it's that's that's the trigger so so that way like if i was to, if i was to nail it down to one thing it would just be trying to a bit of like self-knowledge and and speaking to somebody external from the situation and and understanding what other behaviors are that it's, it's, it's bringing up and what those emotions are. And then you can maybe have a different view of the situation. But I mean, there's loads of other advices also I could, I could give. <laughs> that's, that's a good one. So, yeah, self-awareness and talking to other people so that you can have perspective, right? That's, exactly, that's great yeah. advice. Dom, what is making you hyper curious at the moment? I'm hyper curious about how the world of work is going to change over the next uh, over the over the coming years the post covid years and will it be a blip and an asterisk on a year or like okay well things mostly went back to normal and people were defaulted or will it be the catalyst of of huge change and people have been talking about remote working and the future of work for years and certainly that that topic of conversation has been very prevalent in the last 10 years and it's every year it's increased in its the noise and the around it and will it accelerate beyond all belief and will it kind of break the system or will it really kind of regress back into things 2019 and and then the, the rate of change will continue at the same rate and i'm just curious about whether or not that rate of change will be exponential as a result of covid my hunch is that it will i i really think it will we won't go back to the normal that we had 2019 the beginning of 2020 and it will break things the dinosaurs and people will go back and to how things are being done but there'll be the outliers and a lot of really good things will come of it the new normal we won't go back it will be a new normal and it will be vastly different from the the pre-covid years and that will be that will be a really good thing time for reinvention i love it that's yeah. great dom any message that you want to share with our awesome audience today any less words you spend a lot of time working so just pick and choose what you want to work on really carefully and the world needs people to kind of be alive in their work and do work that matters to them and my 
uh, message would be that it's out there for everyone and then and to keep on that journey to try and find it because uh because it's out there and and it's never been more accessible i i feel like there's really not much excuse these days to work for a cause that you don't believe in so find that cause and um and be excited about it every day Amazing. That's a great uh, closing, Dom. Thank you very much for your time today. I loved the way that you're so, yeah, so open and honest about everything you've been through. And, and yeah, it's been a really good conversation. Thank you. Oh, thanks so much. And thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening so far. Make sure that you listen to other episodes. You can go to hypercurious.fm. And if you want to stay in touch, I'm around. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. You just search for my name and you're going to find me. If you love this conversation and more, make sure that you also do a five star and leave a comment on Apple Podcasts. If that's your preferred podcast app, it will mean the world to me. For now, ciao, ciao. Thank you.